away my sin. We don't have that yet. We don't have that, but one day something came. One day somebody came. One day someone robed himself in flesh and came and he hung on my tree and he died my death and he bore my shame and he bore my sin and he laid in my tomb. But on the third day he rose up and when he won the victory, he gave it to me and he said, I give it to you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead shall quicken your mortal body because he got up, Eddie. One day I'm going to get up too. Because he's victorious, I'm victorious too. Because he has all power in heaven and earth. Guess what? That same power lives and moves inside of us tonight. Nothing but the blood. Nothing. Nothing but the blood. Can you thank him? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. God, we magnify your great name. Lord, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for being here on a Wednesday night. 2 Samuel chapter 6. My goodness, girl, where has that been? You've been hiding. Now we know. You're a had lad now, or a lass, you're a had lass now, right? Amen. Second Samuel chapter 6. We're going to start out reading in verse number 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David, but David carried it aside unto the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Father, we thank you so much for your great blessings, Lord, that you've poured out on us. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for your comforter. Thank you for the Spirit, God. Thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for the worship that we were blessed to partake in tonight. Thank you for safety and health. We pray that your word would go forth tonight, God. Fill my mouth in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find ourselves at the end of a long reign of years where the ark of the Lord had been taken from the people of Israel. A little bit of background for those in case someone doesn't know. The ark was given to the people of Israel as a physical representation of the glory of God. Hence the name Ark of the Covenant. It was the Ark, it was the testimony, the Ark of Testimony. It was the physical representation of the covenant that God had entered in with, had entered into with, into, that God had entered into, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied, with the children of Israel. It was in the mount that God would give Moses the direction and the blueprint of how to build the ark, of how it was to be laid over with gold, how big to make the cherubs, how the staves of gold. And they would place the manna, the tablets, and Aaron's rod that budded in this ark. And for ages on end, this ark would move with the children of Israel, or they would journey throughout the wilderness, packed up, uh, carried on the shoulders of the Levites for 40 years as they wandered into the desert. At Jericho, 
they encountered the River Jordan. God gave Joshua then, the new leader of his people, direction to have the Levites to take up the Ark of the Covenant and to dip their toes into the water of the raging Jordan. And when the Levites and when the priests would dip in the toes of their foot into the water, the water would roll back and be dried up and the children of Israel would pass over on dry ground. He would tell them to bear up the Ark of the Covenant and to march around the walls of Jericho and that seventh time that the walls would fall down. It helped them to wax valiant in battle, God's covenant people on their way to a promised land and on their way to an inheritance that had been promised to them ages past. But in a time of vileness in the kingdom where God would set up judges and there was no leaders to lead them. The prophets were not there, but God would have judges that would rise up, some good and some not so good. It was at this time that the, the priests of the people of Israel had waxed kind of, they had kind of backslid a little bit. And we see that, that we come to a place where Samuel, a child, is born to Hannah. And Hannah tells God that I'm going to give you my son. And when the time come, she took him and she gave him to the priest. And as time would come, the, the sons of that man were not very righteous in their deeds. Uh, it, it goes on to tell us that the things that they would do, that's not we're gonna, what we're going to talk about tonight. But in an ill-advised battle, the children of Israel are warring against the Philistines. And they're getting whooped. They're getting romped pretty good. And they devise a plan in their mind to go back and get the Ark of the Covenant and to bring it into the battle. And when they do, there's a loud shout in the camp. But it doesn't do much to the enemy. At first, they're a little scared. But they gather themselves and they said, Quite, quit yourselves like men. Let's go to battle. They didn't let this hinder their fighting. And at the end of this battle, the men of Israel were massacred and the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive and taken into Philistia. Once it was in Philistia, they would take it into their temples and they would set it up by their false gods. And Dagon, we know, would fall over with his face to the ground. They would come in the next morning and they would set Dagon back in his place. And the next day they come in and he had fallen over again, but this time his head and his arms had fallen off. There was nothing but the stump of Dagon left. Uh, evidently, some things begin to roll through their mind and they begin to understand that this Ark of the Covenant, this presence, the literal, the literal visible representation of the presence of God meant something different to them than it did to the children of God. The glory of God and the presence of God can be very different in someone's life depending on your heart. Depending on where your heart is, the presence of God can mean two totally different things in your life. It's dependent upon where your heart is and what your heart is after. For seven months, the ark would dwell in Philistia until it literally became a pain in their backside. And they sought answers on what to do with it, and their soothsayers said, we need to take this thing back to the children of Israel. We need to get it out of our land. 
But they didn't take it back empty. They took it back with jewels. They took it back. They made uh, golden representations of the things that they were battling. And they took it back. And it says that when the Philistines come to Beth Shemath, that the people of Israel saw the ark and they rejoiced greatly. The Philistines took the ark and they placed it there on a stone. They placed all the gold and the jewels and the pearls and everything there with the, with the ark. And the, the Levites came and the Bible says that they sacrificed and burnt offering there and rejoiced because the ark of the Lord had come back. But the men of Beth Shemath decided to look into the ark of the covenant and because they did that, the Lord wrought a great slaughter in the city of Beth Shemath. So on down the line, these men come to, and I'm sure I'm not going to butcher this, to Kirjajim, however you say that. Come to the next city, Hardward City. Thank you, Pastor, for that. Come from Beth Shemath to, we're just going to call it Kirjajim. How about that? And the Levites come and they get this ark and they take it to Abinadab's house. So it's seven months in the hands of the Philistines and it wrought great plagues among them and it caused their little gods to fall over and they had to come and put their gods back in their place because the glory of God is second to nothing. The presence of God is second to nothing. However, my mind would go to the question of how did they carry it anyway? The Levites are the only people permitted to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and to move it. We find out that the Philistines fashioned them a cart and they put the, the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and that's how they brought it back to Israel. But we can see that it was in the plan of God that He allowed the, those people to carry off the Ark of the Covenant. He could have struck them dead right then and there, but He didn't because He was teaching His children something. He was teaching them some concepts. They had turned their back on God. This thing had become nothing more than a really nice rabbit's foot. It was simply a good luck charm to them. It didn't really mean anything other than our God is going to fight our battles. And when I have a need, I can bring it to Him. And when I get myself backed into a corner, I can run to Him and He's going to get me out because He's not going to back up on His promises. But God's not after that type of relationship. God's not after an on-again, off-again relationship. So He withdrew His presence from Israel and He let them for seven months just pure insanity breaks out. Not, not only for seven months, but thereafter just horrible things are happening. They rebel against Samuel the prophet. And it breaks Samuel's heart. They ask for a king and God says, Samuel, they've not rebelled against you, but they've rebelled against me. They asked for a king and they got King Saul. So this Ark of the Covenant, this visible representation of the Shekinah glory of God, the promise that He would go with them, that He would fight their battles, that He would protect them, that He would bless them. This is the visible representation of that blessing. And of that covenant. So it's been in Abinadab's house now for 40 years. Uh, second King, or First Kings would tell us that it's there for 20 years. And then Saul would reign for 40. So we can, we can divulge from that that the ark was in Abinadab's house for a total of 40 years. However, Abinadab 
when David comes to remove the ark and to bring it back to Jerusalem, the, the Levites had set up Abinadab's son, Eleazar, to keep the ark. The Bible says that they sanctified Eleazar to keep the ark. Years later, when David comes to get the ark, it's not Eleazar that takes it, but Abinadab, his sons, Ahio and Yuza. They take the ark and they place it on a cart. And it says that, that Ahio drove the cart. And when the cart was shaken, that user reached forth his hand to steady the ark. The ark was going to fall off their fancy wheelbarrow. And user reached forth his hand and touched it. And when he did, the Lord made a breach upon user and he fell over doorknob dead. And it, it scared David. It broke David's heart. So David didn't understand what, what, what's going on. You know, I, Lord, how, how can I ever bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city and put it in the tabernacle? How can we ever bring your, your presence, that visible representation of your Shekinah glory, how can we bring that to the city with this breach upon Uzzah? So he turns and he takes it into the house of Obed-Edom. And the Bible tells us that the Ark of the Lord lodged in the home of Obed-Edom for three months. And for in three months, Obed-Edom and all his house are blessed. And the word gets back to King David that Obed-Edom's not dead. And Obed-Edom's not cursed. But some blessings are taking place in Obed-Edom's house. This presence, it means something a little bit different in Obed-Edom's house than it did to Uzzah. And then it did to Abinadab. And then it did to those Philistines. Your heart means a lot about what you get out of the presence of the Lord. Your heart means a lot, has a lot to do with what comes out of the presence of the Lord in your life. David is happy in his heart because he hears that Obed-Edom is blessed. So he goes to the house of Obed-Edom and he gets the cart. This time he takes the Levites and they're going to do it right. This time every six paces they take, they set up shop, they sacrifice, they dance before the Lord and they go another six steps and they do their jig and they dance and they shout and they go another six steps until they reach the city and when they reach the city, the Bible says that David danced with all his might before the Lord. Because the presence of the Lord was taking on a different meaning to him. How, how, does, it, how does it spend? How, how does this concentrated amount of God's glory? How, how does the visible representation of the Shekinah glory of God spend 40 years in the house of Abinadab? And all he gets out of it is a dead son. What's, what's so different about the homes of Abinadab and the home of Obed-Edom? I believe that, that Obed-Edom had a softened heart and his heart was toward God and the thing was set in its rightful place in his heart and in his mind. One preacher put it this way. He said, I believe that every morning when Obed-Edom got up, he got his morning coffee and he walked out and he looked at the Ark of the Covenant and he remembered all the blessings that was coming his way and he seen how God was moving in his family and how God was blessing everything that his hand touched. And when this began to happen, he began to sing, Caught up in your presence, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I just want you, God. 
I, I just want you, Lord. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. God, God you don't owe me anything. I, I, just, I just want to sit here at your feet. I believe that there was a different heart in the men between Abinadab and a different heart in the man of Obed-Edom. I believe that Obed-Edom began to see how good God was. And I believe that the man Obed-Edom began to see, you know, the Bible would call him a Gittite. You know what a Gittite is? A Gittite is a man from Gath. And if that sounds familiar, that's because David had another run-in with a man of Gath and his name was Goliath. And I I don't know, scholars go back and forth on whether Obed-Edom was a Levite or not. I really don't think he was because I don't believe the Bible would call him a Gittite if he was really a Levite. Whatever it may be, whatever the case may be, a Levite has no business in Gath. A, A Levite has no business at all being labeled a Gittite. Someone of the world. But when the ark of the Lord came in, when the presence of God came into his home, and when the presence of God came into his life, whether he was a Levite or not doesn't really matter to me. Because one of two things happened. Either a prodigal, or even either a prodigal was blessed with the presence of God. And some things begin to remind through, rewind through his mind of how good God really is. And how good I really had it in the house of the Lord. Or secondly, he was a man of Gath and he had no business housing it. But because he was blessed with that, with that opportunity, his heart began to turn. One of the two you pick. Either way, God restored and God renewed. And the presence of the Almighty God meant something totally different in these three instances. It caused the false gods of the Philistines to fall over, literally. It it gave them a pain. It it, it caused, maybe, maybe in the house of Abinadab, it wasn't looked at in the same form and fashion as it was in the house of Obed Edom. Maybe. Maybe when the Levites brought it in to Abinadab, him and his son said, well, the fun's all gone from this house. I guess we'll just house this thing now. Everybody just make sure nothing bad happens to the ark. I don't know what happened. I can tell you one thing, that his two children are way, way, way too desensitized to the presence of God. I can tell you that if they were, that if Ohio and if Yuza were in fact Levites, I can tell you that they should have known that the ark was never meant to be carried in that fashion. It was never just a side note. But it was the staple of who they were. It was the visible representation of the covenant promise that God had with His people. Whatever the case may be, It goes to Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Bible says that he and all his household were blessed. What does the presence of God mean in your life? I I can tell you that it should mean everything. I I can tell you that the presence of God will get you out of situations that you never should have been in. But I can also tell you that the presence of God will keep you from things like that. 
I, I can tell you that there is a place that you can get where you're like Obed-Edom and every morning when you wake up, he's the first thought in my mind. At night when I lay down, he's my last thought in mind. There's joy in serving Jesus. There's joy in serving the Lord. It's not a prohibition on fun. And it's not the end of your life. But there is joy. Great joy in serving the Lord. He said, I know no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Hannah was preaching the other night at the house. And I've never been more happy. I'm not lying. She could sing and hit every high note but to hear her talk about the goodness of God and to hear her quote scripture whether it's right or whether she misses a word or two I can tell you that that does my heart way more good than anything else that she could ever do because I want my kids and I want my family to understand the presence of God and how blessed and how fortunate we really are to even have that you think about it for a minute I I get to house the glory of God. Uh, Hebrews tells us that once there was a temple made with hands, but a more perfect high priest was sent. And now it's not a temple built with hands, but that spirit lives inside of you. That, That spirit, in him you live and move and have your very being. Obed-Edom must have had a reverence for the presence of the Lord. He he must have just been caught up in the blessing. He he must have just been thankful that who I was yesterday is not who I am today. And he knew the reasoning behind it. I would be a fool to stand here today and tell you that I am who I am by my strength or by any blessing or by my knowledge or by any gifting. I am who I am solely by the grace of God and that's it. Because one day His presence took His abode up in my life and He changed me. I'm not not shy about the fact He took up His abode in my life. We're too timid about the fact that the living God lives and moves and has His very being inside of you. That His Spirit fills us to the uttermost. We're way too timid about that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're redeemed is what you are. You're a child of God is what you are. You're bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. That's what you really are. You're a son and a daughter of God. That's who you really are. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand Our pleasures forevermore. Things that are in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom in His presence. Philippians 4 and 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. What What does His presence mean to you? I think we take too lightly the fact that His presence goes with me when I leave the church. I think we take too lightly the fact that when I walk into my office, that I'm just as filled with the Holy Ghost at that time as I am right now. 
that that same spirit that lives inside of me and can make me run and dance and shout and laugh and cry and whatever else he wants to do still lives and moves inside of me as I go throughout my daily routines. I think it's time that we get applicable with the Holy Ghost and with the Spirit and the presence of God. Acts In the book of Acts it says that they continue daily breaking bread and having favor with all men. The Spirit of God, the presence of God can give you favor with men. It can give you favor in your job. It can give you favor in an interview. It can give you favor in your day-to-day routine. The Spirit of the Lord goes with you. And there's freedom and there's liberty and there's blessing because you're a child of the King. Because His presence literally fills your mortal body. I don't know about you, but I think I could take on hell with a squirt gun when I really think about what's inside of me. I I really feel that there's no addiction that He can't break in the presence of the Holy Ghost. I really believe that when His glory is concentrated in one place that there's no demon that can stand. That knees begin to tremble. That tongues are loosed. I believe that addicts are freed. I believe that marriages are healed. I believe that prodigals return. I believe that sickness has to go. I believe it all in the name of Jesus because in us dwells His Spirit. And of His fullness have we all received. You mean to tell me that I've got the fullness of God living inside of me. I don't think enough about myself. I'm nothing. I'm a no. Oh, you're a somebody, all right. I'm nothing. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Quit that downplaying yourself. You're a child of the Most High. You're born again. The literal presence of the Almighty Creator takes up His abode in your life. What does the presence of of the Lord mean in your life? Because I don't think we take Him at His word. I think we go into interviews thinking that we're equal or subpar to everybody else. I believe that we go into Financial situations thinking that we're equal or lesser than everybody else. I think that we go to Him in prayer thinking that we're equal or lesser than everybody else. But can I tell you that you're the apple of His eye? Can I tell you that from the garden until His return that you are what He was really after? That 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 ark of the covenant in all its glory overlaid in pure gold reverenced thought highly of all it was was a stepping stone to get to your heart all it was was the in between time when something needed to happen and something did happen that ark was nothing more than than a fancy chest When the presence of the Lord left it. Because one day when he hung on a cross and he gave up the ghost, the earth shook. And when the earth shook, the veil was rent. And the mercy seat was exposed. 
And for 900 years in Jerusalem, the mercy seat was contained behind a veil. Oh, but around 33 A.D., when he gave up the ghost and the earth began to tremble and shake and quake, the veil was rent and mercy was released to go to its rightful place because it was always meant to be carried on the shoulders of mankind. It was never meant to be locked away in a, in, in a fancy building hid behind a fancy veil. But if you look at that veil in all its beauty and all its grandeur, but you look at the bottom of it and you see that those, those posts were set upon silver sockets, were set upon silver bases. Silver being the representation of redemption. You see, at one time there was a veil that kept me from His presence, a veil that kept me from His fullness. We were all alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. But on that day when the earth shook, the veil was rent because those, that, that, that veil was fashioned upon silver sockets. And redemption took place and that veil was rent, exposing the mercy seat. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12. In whom we have all boldness and access with confidence by faith of Him. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If you don't have anything to shout about. If you don't have anything else to be thankful for. Of whom the whole family in earth and in heaven is named after I'm named with Him. I'm numbered with Him. I'm bone of His bone. I'm, I'm flesh of His flesh. Does that mean anything to you that the presence of the Almighty God lives inside of you? Does it, does it mean anything to you? On down in verse number 18. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. You ready? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And after that Paul breaks into some stuff. He says now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that what? That works in who? Unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And to know the love of Christ which passeth understanding. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. According to the power that works in us. He wants to fill you with His fullness. According to the power that works inside of you. What does that do to you? Come on, Obed-Edom, rise up. What does the presence of God mean in your life? It's not something to be to take second place. The, the presence of God isn't, isn't something that's just a, a byproduct of coming to church. No, it's first and foremost. The presence of God needs to be reverenced in our lives. 
The presence of God should go with us. It does, but we don't understand the fact that He goes with us every step along the way. Musicians, you can come up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. It's talking about the fivefold ministry. It says it was given for the perfecting, for the perfecting of the saints, the working of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. You ready for this? Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's shouting ground. Do you, do you realize what he's trying to do in your life? Do you, re, do you really realize what the presence is? It's not there to give you goosebumps. The, the presence of God isn't there to just make you talk in tongues every once in a while. The, the presence of God isn't there to just help you cry out aloud in prayer and sneeze and snot everywhere. The, the presence of God isn't just here to make you sing real good. The presence of God is in your life to build you up and to the stature of the fullness of Christ. I, I, I don't know about you, but if Obed-Edom can be thankful for a box housed inside of his house, then I've got every right to be thankful and ecstatic that that same Creator God took up His abode in my life. I don't think that we fully comprehend what happens when we're born again. I don't think that we fully understand what happens when a believer is baptized in the Spirit. I, this morning, I was reminiscing a little bit. And, and I, just began, I was thinking on this. I was thinking about the blessings of Obed-Edom and how good God had been to him. And, and we read when David takes the ark into Jerusalem, when he calls out the names of the men that were the workers at the tabernacle, Obed-Edom and his sons are named. Because when David come to get the ark, Obed-Edom said, I, I, let's, you can take it, that's fine, but, but I go where it goes. Uh, everything good in my life happened because the presence of God. And, and I'm not going to let it leave. I'm not just going to let it pack up and, and go away. But where the presence of God goes, I'm going to. So whatever you've got for me, David, I can, I can be a doorkeeper if that's all that you've got. But I go where the presence goes. Everything good in my life is here because he gave it to me. I was nothing. I was in Gath. I was a Gittite then. But I'm, I'm a blessed man now, David. Whatever you do, don't, don't take the presence from me. I, I still got kids and I don't want the presence taken out of my home. So if you don't mind, David, where, where you take it, can I, can I just bring my family? Because I want them in the presence of God. Well, whatever, I'll pack up, I'll leave whatever, but I just want to be in His presence. 
And, and Jess, I began to think about my life. And I had a praying mama, but I was backslid. The worst kind of backslid because I was enjoying what I was doing. But in my stupidity, I would spend all my dollars. And I'd call mom and dad and I'd say, hey, I don't have gas money to get to work because I was working in Charleston at that time. Can, can, can you give me some money for gas? And dad would say, you idiot, I ain't going to give you money for gas, but you can take your mama's car. I ain't going to pay for you to drive that big truck of yours that you can't afford, but you can come and get your mama's car. So my mom would go out there. I know her ways. And, and she would take them 1998 CDs and put them in that little black money car load. And she'd turn the radio on just a little bit and I'd get to about packs before I realized what was happening and I'd be singing along with the Crab family. And, and, and one song in particular, I heard it this morning and I wept and I cried and I talked in tongues and I probably looked like a moron when I went through the toll booth, but I remember the time, Tom. And it says, when your back's against the wall and the mountain seems so tall, and you realize life's not always fair. You can run away and hide and let the old man decide. Or you can change your circumstances with a praise. And as a young man in my idiotic backslidden state, tears would begin to roll down my face and I'd reach up and punch that radio. I don't need this right now. But my mom understood that if I can get him, ha <laughs> ha, if I can get him in the presence, if I can just, if I can just get the presence of God around him, I know, I know, I know that my son will be redeemed. I know, I know that if I can just get him in the presence of God, keep on praying, mama. Keep on praying, daddy. Keep on praying, son. Keep on praying, daughter. Because I promise you, if you can get them in the presence of God, ha, Eddie, I'll never forget the presence of God. And I'd ride down that interstate, and those words would begin to roll through my mind, and I'd reach up and turn it off. And next week, I'd do the same thing and spend all my dollars. Dad, can you give me some gas money? Come and get your mama's car. Mom would go out there and put in them 1990s CDs. And again, I'd go down the road and before I knew it, I would say, oh, he never promised that the cross would not be hit. He, he never promised that the hill wouldn't be hard to climb. And tears would begin to flow down my face one more time. What does the presence of God mean in your life? Do you need baptized afresh in His Spirit? Do you need baptized afresh in the presence of God? He can go with you to your job. He can go with you into conversation with your prodigal lost son and daughter. What does the presence of the Lord mean to you? I don't know about you, but I just want to sit here at your feet. Uh, I was introduced to something, Pastor. I was introduced to something. And I couldn't quite shake the Holy Ghost. And even in my 
stupidity and in my backslidden state there was a bloodline and the presence of God would enter into that car and he would call me back and call me back and call me back and call me back who's he calling back in your life is there a person in your life that needs you desperately to fall in love again with the presence of God and say God I know that everything's not right right now and and I know that everything don't look so good right now but God please please oh please let him encounter your presence if I could just get him into your glory one time plead the blood over that person right now plead the blood over him right now what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood what bought you the right to have the presence of God come into your life nothing but the blood but can I also tell you that when the blood is applied that there's no devil in hell that can stand in the way of the presence of the Almighty God. There's no situation, Eddie, and there's no circumstance that can stand in the path of that blood when it's applied to a life. So look out, devil, we're coming for our people. Look look out, devil, I'm coming for my son, I'm coming for my daughter, and I'm taking back what's rightfully mine. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you just need to pray, it'd be a really good time in the presence of the Lord to bring it to Him.